Bucks Central Friday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw in the Mobile Kintech Studio as we are at Rogers Arena, the scene of the final preseason game of the Vancouver Canucks. They will host and look for revenge on the Calgary Flames, who booted the Canucks 10-0 in Calgary to open up the preseason. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.com. Net. A lot to get into. We'll have a mailbag. Ian McIntyre will join us today. And, you know, it's a game night when you can hear the big new arena board making noise in the background here during Canucks Central Sat. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just glad that we're not doing aggregate in these preseason <laughs> games between the Canucks and the Calgary Flames because you got a lot of making up to do. You're going to make up the aggregate. That would be fun. Canucks would just be, like, <laughs> trying to go full throttle from minute one of the game, you know? Like, would that be a, a way to cure their slow starts, right? Just blitz Ooh. them early and fast. But, no, it's great to be at the rink. And we mentioned this before. That I mean, people who have been to the one preseason game and the ones who have been to different events have seen the new video board. Yeah. It is absolutely massive. Like, it's, it's so big. We can't even see the whole thing from – our vantage point. No, I can see about half the screen. So yeah. um, apparently uh, Leah's Pedersen and Jack Stanika already have penalties. So <laughs> uh, according to the video board, at least. That's not how you get off to a good start. Uh, might be some foreshadowing ahead of uh, tonight's game against the Calgary Flames. We'll get more deep into the game as we always do as we get closer to game time. But, um, you know, a lot of consternation today about – how the lineup looked and Rick Tockett making some changes. You know, you got Garland back up on the top line. Joshua's in. Hoaglander's out. Cole McWard is out of the lineup. Noah Juleson's back in. So some interesting things happening with the roster. But you know, I think for – it's almost a reminder, especially with somebody like Hoaglander who started camp next to Elias Pettersson and has gradually worked his way down the lineup and now for the final preseason game, the final dress rehearsal, out of the lineup. It's sort of a reminder of just how short the leash is for some of these bubble players. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, my sympathy is getting lower and lower, smaller and smaller in increments in terms of feeling like, you know, they're not getting an opportunity. They gave Hoaglander and put Colson the two most prime opportunities out of any player fighting for any sort of yeah. roster spot. They even got better opportunities than Connor Garland got. We're giving you camp. the job. It's your it's your job to stick stick stay in it, right? Hoaglander with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, put Colson with Miller and Besser, and neither guy was able to hold on to it. Put Colson even more so because he got sent down, obviously, and you know I'm, I'm sure he's not too happy about that. But it is what it is, you know, in terms of how he performed. We all knew and saw that he wasn't performing to the same level other guys were, like. DiGiuseppe was significantly better than him throughout the course of training camp in the preseason. So that's a no contest. And as far as, you know, Hoaglander's spot with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, I mean, you hear what the coach says. They say he's a buzzsaw. I'm yet, I've yet to see it. He gets too fancy when he plays with Pedersen. He has to hone in on the things he's got to do consistently. It's the same story as ever as Hoaglander. So it's hard not to sit here today and be somewhat pessimistic about the lack of progress that's been made by those two players. Because Hoaglander is in the same spot he was at the end of, or midway through last year when he got sent down, about what he has to figure out. Yeah. And we're sitting here today, ahead of the regular season, asking the same questions about what has he actually learned? Has he actually developed so far? 
it's um, it's one of those things, like especially with Hoaglander. You know, the other night in Abbotsford, I wouldn't say he was awful or terrible or anything like that, but there's a handful of moments in a game where he struggles to get the puck out of his own end, where he tries to make a move at his own blue line when it's just like, you got to be ready to make the play to your teammate on the set breakouts that we have, or you chip that puck out and try to win a battle in the neutral zone. Figure it out. But I don't want any of this fancy stuff near our own blue line. I don't want to I don't want to see you losing board battles around our own blue line. You've got to win those things. You got to make sure that puck gets out and the danger is cleared from our own end. And it's been a problem for Hoaglander throughout his early career and even though there was only a handful of moments the other night, I can see why the coach is like you know that that's another moment where he's losing points in this battle towards winning a primo spot in the lineup. Absolutely. And it's and what he is is a bit of a microcosm of everybody being on notice with this group so far this season right now, right? Like, I, I look at it and say, Hoganiner's the one that we're talking about a lot because he went from playing with Pedersen and Kuzmenko to start camp to not showing enough progress to the point where he looks to be on the outside looking in for the first game of the season. Now, even Talkett himself said he hasn't made a decision fully yet on who's going to play game one of the season, so we'll ultimately see. And he mentioned how important practice is, and I do know that he puts a lot of emphasis on how players look in practice and how they perform in practice mm-hmm. in addition to the games. So there's not it's not to say that he can't win him over a bit more and get an opportunity when the first game of the season comes, but it's pretty, you know, it's not very encouraging that we're sitting here in the same spot with Hoaglander. But I also think... Everybody else is kind of unnoticed, on notice outside of the star guys. But even if Miller and Pedersen dog it, I'm sure Tockett's not going to be too happy about it. Yeah. But at the same time, I look at Dakota Joshua. Mm-hmm. I look at Brock Besser. I look at Andre Kuzmenko because he already reamed out Kuzmenko what, during the Edmonton game in the second yeah. period on the bench. And he was like, he, he was acting like it was a playoff game. That's how mad he was at Kuzmenko at the bench. That's the most animated I've seen Tockett ever since he came to Vancouver on the bench at one of his players, right? So we know Kuzmenko's, even his minutes can, you know, fluctuate depending on his performance. Besser, if he doesn't haul ass during the season, I'm sure he's not going to be playing as much as he has been yeah. used to playing the past little while. And even Oman and Studnika and these guys, like, I know we're talking so much about who's going to make the team and everything, but who sticks? I think that's going to be a big question, especially early in the season. I don't think tryouts end just because the preseason is going to be over. Well, it's you know that's um, that's part of the conversation, isn't it? Right? You you make the roster. That is just the first speed bump over the course of an 82 game season that you've got to get over. So if you're Jack Studnika, you can't slow up at any point because you may end up on waivers and back in the AHL. Nils Oman, your waivers exempt. You have to keep working your bleep off in order to make sure that you stick in the roster because everybody knows and you should know you're the easiest guy to send down once Ilya Mikheyev is ready to come back off of injured reserve. And for Nils Hoaglander, yeah, they gave him a two-year contract. They don't want to they, – they clearly still have some – faith in the upside of this player but just because you might make the roster on opening night doesn't change that you are very much on the bubble for this team very much so and and, I mean maybe if push comes to shove he does get placed on waivers I think we're a far away away from that like I don't think that's the team's preference at all but you do wonder at some point whether it's him or put Colson 
is it more valuable for you to keep trying or to make a move with one of these players? Right. You know, acquire whatever it is you acquire. Another player that's similar, a different position that you may feel like is a different fit. Like at, I think at some point in this season, that's a question they may have to ask themselves. And depending on what type of start they get off to in the season, it might get expedited if they don't get off to that start they want. I think a lot of this pressure that talk it's putting on the team is kind of warning them that like we're not messing around like we're, we're trying to be a good team this season we're trying to make the playoffs and we have zero margin for error we have yeah. no margin for error so we can't get off to a slow start i think we all have to also be real realistic and, and know that a new team kind of different configuration it's going to take time for them to truly gel but you can't play yourself out of things early in the season no so do you have the commitment at the very least do you get off to decent starts and do you have players that are li are willing to fight and claw to stay on this roster and make a difference. Like even Casey the Smith, Dan. Like if he, his first two or three starts are not very good, I don't think it's going to be very long if Arthur Shidloff is playing well in Abbotsford that they make that call and bring him up. Like I think all these guys, they really have to bring it early this season. Otherwise, they might get left behind. Well, if you want to be uh, – well, if the organization is true to its word that the, the, the standards of being a Vancouver Canuck have to be raised and are going to be raised – well, then there has to be some level of action towards that if that standard hasn't been raised or the level of play isn't changing. If players aren't, you know, one of the things is it, it's not just that the Canucks haven't been good the last couple of years. They they haven't even played up to their potential as a team. Now, even if that potential is below the playoff mark, not being a Stanley Cup contender, what we saw at the beginning of last season – start of the season before was not even the level of the potential of this team it's not even where they should be playing they were playing much below expectations and this is the kind of thing that I feel like Tockett is guarding against mm -hmm. so much and that's why he's having that moment with Kuzmenko yeah why he's you know he's praised some practices but he's been critical of his team after some games and he was critical today when he spoke to media you know he's he's just he's not letting his he's not letting these guys off the hook easy even though it is still very much training camp. No, and if you look at also the roster, a lot of short-term deals on yeah. the books now. We're not talking about the same roster from a few years ago that had 6, 7, 8 guys on multi-year deals that you knew you were locked into. I mean just going through Vancouver's roster, I mean so right now they currently have what I think like 6 or 7 UFAs. And if you look at the guys who are on long-term deals, it's, it's Pedersen, who's not even on long-term deal, right? But it's yeah. Miller, and it's Hughes, and Garland has three years, and Susie has three years, and Demko has three years. And yeah. that's three years. We're not talking about four or five years. So, I mean, you're not really tied into too many guys on this team, you know? And maybe at the end of the season, if push comes to shove, you do something with Brock Besser you don't want to do. But that's kind of where you're getting at right now, right? So I think if any of these guys get to a point where the team is somewhat competitive but they're not pulling their weight, I, don't, I think they're going to be pretty ruthless with who they send down, what moves they make, and which guys they call up if they're playing well in Abbotsford. Like, I think the Cole McWhor thing, a big part of it has been, obviously, he has performed better than any other righty defenseman who's fighting for the same roster spot, but it's also a bit of a warning sign to everybody else saying, I don't care that you have experience and that you're a bit of a veteran and you played some games last year and you see yourself higher on the pecking order. We're not going to give you minutes. You have yeah. to perform. So if Juleson starts the year here, Will Nan and Breezebo on these guys, they get a handful of chances, they don't do anything with it, they're going to be pretty quick to make a call and bring some guy up. Yeah, and the D is probably the spot that is the biggest pressure point because, I mean, hey, there's there's another couple of names on, on waivers today. Uh, I know we'll answer some of these questions coming up in the mailbag in the next hour, 
but you know Marcus Bjork, Grant Hutton uh, out of the New York Islanders. Uh, every day, and probably over the next couple of days, there will be more interesting names to come out and hit the waiver wire. And yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that we have listeners asking those questions mm-hmm. because it's pretty obvious and everybody can see it. There isn't a real concrete solution. And the ones that have been here have underwhelmed to a certain extent outside of Cole McWard. So why wouldn't you look at the waiver wire should some interesting names pop up? I think they've been looking at the waiver wire every day. Yeah, I think they've considered putting claims in on players. I know a lot of people like Kai has been asking us about uh, Marcus Bjork, and yep. we'll get to more of that during the mailbag as well. But to hit him quickly, like he, his profile is something that's intriguing. What it comes down to is he's a good puck mover. He does some good things offensively. But because of the role you want to put him with, how steady do they feel like he can be? Yeah. How, how good do they think he can be along the walls and making those short, quick plays? And that's kind of the pro scouting evaluation the team would have to make on a player like him. But I do think he's an intriguing option. Like I'd rather give a guy like that a shot again than forcing McWard onto the roster. Mm-hmm. And with a guy like Juleson, I'm still unconvinced he gets claimed because he has two years on his contract. Yeah. And I think that's also a reason why Jacob Bernard Docker didn't get picked because he has two years on his contract. I think that's the reason why he wasn't claimed off waivers. I think that becomes a bit of a detrimental factor sometimes, especially for roster spots when teams are looking at their 50 contract limit. It's like, I- I'm willing to give him one year this year, but do I want to commit to two years to a guy I don't know yet and then have to de- sat- have be saddled with a guy and his contract the year afterwards if I'm not into him? So I think that becomes a bit of a detriment. So I'm not sold on Juleson, but I'm, I'm not against picking up a Marcus Bjork. I do wonder if the team would rather make a trade to acquire a defenseman somewhere. Right. And that's what I kind of wonder about in general. If, if there's somebody they have their sights on, that's not quite somebody who's going to be on waivers, that they may make a minor transaction to acquire. It's uh, pretty obvious right now, no matter what the final roster ends up looking like, things are going to be very much up in the air for this team, even as the season gets started with some of those bottom of the roster spots. Um, all right. This text will answer this one question. Does Hoaglander have more trade value with his cost certainty for two seasons, or do you think that his $1.1 million is too rich for too long for other teams? It ties into what we were just talking about a little bit, Sat. Um, I think it makes it less likely that Hoaglander has a lot of suitors around the league that he's tied in for a couple of years. I think it's a deal you're making and you're taking something back. Now, it may not be a big contract. It may be even a Bernard Docker type of contract, like a guy who's making yeah. league minimum for two years, but on a one-way. So that's 1.4, 1.5 million roughly. And that offsets at least some of the money that's owed to Hoaglander. I think you might be able to pull something like that off and perhaps get an extra asset on top of it. But I do think with Hoaglander at this stage, unless you're just giving him away and even then because the money owed to him, I think it's a deal where you have to take something back. Now, you may get something interesting back in return. It's not like you're you know, dumping it for nothing necessarily, but I don't imagine it's, his value is at a point right now that teams are clamoring to acquire him and give you a third-round pick or something. Uh, Gerp from Surrey has uh, asked a couple of times this week, uh, where are the Canucks in the waiver priority? 
It is uh, reverse order according to the standings last year. Uh, Anaheim and Columbus have made claims, so they would be bumped to the yeah, bottom yeah. of the waiver order. So the Canucks are, uh, I'm guesstimating, but somewhere in the top ten. Yeah, they're uh, ninth, I think. That's right what now. I was going to think. Ninth, yeah. or you know, I think that's kind of where the, the spot they find themselves. Yeah, we're actually eighth because three players have been claimed off waivers, right? Yeah, it was Emerson, it right. was Emerson. Uh, ta- uh, Went to Thompson, and Fajemo, who's the LA Kings guy who got picked. Who did pick? Who picked them up again? By Nashville. Way? Nashville picked them up. So yeah, those. So yeah, Vancouver might be eighth on yeah. waiver priority right now. So, I mean, it's, it's a decent spot to be in if you are in, enamored by somebody who hits the wire. And there could be more names out there. I know in Carolina, Dylan Coughlin, Coughlin is a guy that people look at and, and wonder, and he's intriguing. He's from these parts. He's a local boy. He's a righty defenseman. He's shown some intrigue. He had some value at one point when he was traded from the Vegas Golden Knights to yeah. um, the Carolina Hurricanes. So I think there, there's something there. It's just... With them sending Caleb Jones down, they can just keep him on the roster. So uh, or if you're trying to get Coughlin, for instance, do you have to give something up? Mm-hmm. Something minor, maybe? It's kind of like the Stadnika thing, a prospect or something. And, and I think that's something the team might be wrestling with. It's, do we just put a claim in on somebody or go for somebody who's maybe slightly higher? But we have to give something up. Not, nothing major, but something up to acquire. Something to keep an eye on here over the next few days for the Vancouver Canucks. So... Rick Tockett spoke at length today about a number of things, and a lot of it was, I'd say, um, enlightening. You know, he didn't yeah. really hold back on what he's thinking about this team right now, and something Bick and I talked about yesterday and uh, sort of wondered about, like, what's keeping Tockett up at night yes. about the team and where it's headed and how they've played through preseason one thing we did not bring up is the starts to games and talk it very much mentioned that today uh we have the clip i want to go to it just to give context for our listeners here is uh rick Tockett on what he doesn't like about how the canucks have started games i think the work ethic and i think the structure is being good i, I don't like our starts at all um and and we have some staples here that we we got to make sure that we are dialed in on our staples i i seen a lack of a few things there um, and that's why our starts have not been good so that was our address today and to me that's the one if I had the bone to pick with this team it's it's our starts and not being ready to play and you know ultimately that's my fault it comes to me but they uh, they have to make sure that they take onus on starts and play to our identity and it usually takes us a period to really kind of Get you know if you look at the games, second and thirds have been some of our better periods, but the first period has not. That's why we're taking penalties and every game, it, you know, it's three, four penalties to start the game, so we're not ready to play. There is Rick Tockett on uh, the starts to games. The one thing that stood out, you know, when Tockett took over, uh, there was a lot of talk about well, he's got some rules, he's got some non-negotiables. And through the summer, he's talked about, we've got to set our staples. We've got to set our, our standards for this team. And in that clip, he says, there are some of our staples that guys aren't living up to, and that's why we aren't starting games well. So he's kind of keeping tabs as to who is getting prepared properly for games and who isn't getting prepared properly for games, it seems like. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and honestly, if we're talking about resetting the culture, so to speak, and resetting the organizational standards and, and so-called ethos, then you do have to hold people accountable. And I think one thing that – and not to say that Travis didn't, because I think Travis did. He was a hard-ass on the guys oftentimes. I think it just got to the point where everything was just like, okay, 
you know, it's time for a change and all that. But I'm not sure Boudreaux truly kept guys accountable mm-hmm. for, you know, standards and everything. And if you are trying to instill a new level of standard, you have to have accountability with it. It doesn't happen without it. The question is, does the accountability ever come? And because we haven't seen the team grow and mature yet with this core, and it's not quite the same core core because it has changed, obviously, but you're talking about Travis towards the end of his tenure constantly bemoaned the bad starts. Boudreaux was at wit's end about the bad starts. He's like, I I tell the guys every day. We talk about it every day. I don't know what else to say. And, And maybe he didn't do enough in terms of preparation himself and accountability to make sure it happened, but he always complained about the bad starts. And now you have the third coach, third successive coach, saying the same thing. And he said the same thing at the end of last year as well. And it's now carrying over again. When is that accountability going to set in and can it set in? Because if it doesn't happen, I think this team's going to be stuck in that kind of in mediocrity. And I hate to say it because I don't want him to be there, but name me a playoff team and a good team that consistently gets off the bad starts. It doesn't have true accountability. It no. doesn't truly play at that high tilt level. You have to do it. Yeah. You have to get there. And we haven't seen it yet. I hope it comes. I have some hope that it will arrive at some point this season. But I think he's absolutely right in trying to hold people accountable for it. I just hope it works. It's uh, one of the things we see every single year. The teams that start games well, the teams that open up the scoring first, tend to win a lot of games. If you're playing from behind, never really a good recipe for winning many games in the National Hockey League, for winning games in Major League Baseball, for winning football games. Nobody wants to start behind the eight ball, and the Canucks have consistently done it. They made the, the, like, you know, there was a couple of big moves that they made in the last year from a core standpoint, right? Oliver Ekman Larson gets bought out. You haven't been good enough. You're gone. Uh, Bo Horvat, you know, was the captain of the team. That's his almost as big a shakeup to the core as you can make to a roster. So you sort of wonder if this issue persists, what does that continually say about the core that's in place, the core four, and all that does entail, it would not be great. And on the flip side, if they do start to change that narrative, if they do start to – have better first periods and play well out of the gate more often in games, that's sort of a sign that they have begun to change the culture here in Vancouver. I think it's a very easy thing for us to track and to evaluate in terms of what you mentioned because it's clear that's the number one issue they're having in terms of setting the standard they want. They're happy with the practices. They had a big issue last year talking about practice habits. They feel like they're taking steps in that direction. And things do take time. I think one thing we also have to understand, like I mentioned earlier as well, if you're looking to make this type of change, it does take time. But what needs to happen as it it goes on is the the buy-in grows and grows, the accountability sets in, and that you have enough success early on that people believe in what you're doing. And that has to be part of it. And I think that's why you see the urgency in the coach already. And I can see it being a negative in terms of like, oh, my God, here, we're, we're, here we go again. The wheels are going to fall off. I don't know if that necessarily means it's going to happen. It's just that he's not letting anything slide. Yeah. And this is what accountability, accountability looks like. It's, and it's also what that progress looks like. It's not like all of a sudden a switch flips off and the team gets it. It's, it's a work towards getting there. And even Ian Cole, when we talked to him, he mentioned a lot of those things. It's like you get into your work every day and, and you get to that point as a group. It just can't take too long to get there. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. Uh, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to 
Canuck Central. Coming up, Ian McIntyre is going to join us. Uh, his take on how the roster is shaping up and his piece with JT Miller that came out yesterday. Tune in to the Sportsnet Radio Friday Soccer Report brought to you by Casillero del Diablo Wines and the Way to Be a Legend podcast. The chance to win a once-in-a-lifetime trip to England for the ultimate Manchester United experience, including a chance to play a football game at Old Trafford where Manchester United legends will make an appearance. No purchase necessary. Conditions apply. Must be legal drinking age. Casillero del Diablo. Available at BC Liquor. Please enjoy responsibly. Enter in-store or visit CasilleroManchester.com. You're listening to Canuck Central. Central, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah in the mobile Kintec studio. Uh, Austin and Langley getting the jokes for 60 up early with the uh, Casiero de Diablo contest. Is the play a game at Old Trafford contest actually just an opportunity for Manchester United to scout some guys? They're starting 11, needs all the help it can get. <laughs> yeah, maybe not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, everybody can hear it in the air tonight in the background. Is there a more recognizable, like, drum kick than what we have in In the Air Tonight? Probably not. Probably not. I, can, I, I literally can't think of one. No, I don't think so. It's not like it's a drum solo, but it's just like the transition of it. Yeah. It's just so perfect. Yeah. Somebody might text in and be like, well, Moby Dick from Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Um, it's about as iconic as... Uh, Sandstorm by Darude. You know, you just hear oh, the yeah, first you know beat what's coming and you're up. like, okay. I know what's up here. Or Satisfaction. You That's know. good, too. Those are the ones you know. Uh, Ian McIntyre now joins us uh, here on Canuck Central. <laughs> what an intro. The triple threat on uh, on television, on radio, and digitally at sportsnet.ca. iMac, what's, uh, what's your favorite drum solo in a song? Uh, <laughs> the who you, who you can't can't get fooled again, won't get fooled again. Oh yeah, okay. That makes. I don't sense. know if it's really a drum solo. <laughs> well, we were just here. We're here at the at the rink and uh, in the air. The in the air tonight by Phil Collins was on in the background, so everybody knows the do 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 do. Right? Everybody knows it, right? <laughs> uh, I guess everybody knows that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. He's not convinced. Yeah. IMAC does not seem convinced. I mean, Mike Tyson doing it in in the Hangover. Everybody knows this. Okay. All right. I'm done. <laughs> How are you, iMac? You doing well? I'm doing well. I'm doing just fine. Trying to hear you guys. It's not a great connection, I got to say. Oh, well, yeah, we are at the rink, so. All right. All right. And no, I'm I'm looking forward to next Wednesday. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> it feels like it feels like we've had even though, I mean, thank goodness it's only six preseason games and not and not 10 uh like it used to be. But it just feels like we've kind of uh we've we've run out of storylines like we've seen we've seen camp we've seen what they're doing to try to get ready and now let's just get on with it let's see if they're ready maybe we'll we'll see tonight but it's still a preseason game there's still five days so even if they if they win tonight you know it doesn't really mean much other than they feel good and i did i did talk to a couple guys this morning who 
who said they thought it was important just to, to feel positive going into the regular season. But if they lose tonight, uh, it matters as much as all these other preseason games have. And Talkett himself made it clear this morning that he looks at the individual things uh, more than more than the team things, although clearly looking at the team starts among among other things. But I'm just I'm ready for the regular season. I think we all are, iMac. It's uh, it's kind of what happens during preseason. But you know, I think with the the, the starts comment that Tockett made uh, earlier today, it sort of uh, highlights the ongoing culture change that he is trying to instill on this on this roster. I mean, the starts have been an issue going back to Travis Green's tenure as head coach with this core and. Uh, it's also a reminder, like, you know, these things just don't happen overnight. You know, Rick Tockett is probably going to have points of the season where he's going to have to throw the hammer down at some of these guys and, and remind them about uh, the standards that he's trying to set as the new Canucks coach. Yeah, well, I, th- I think it, I- I'm pretty sure it was his very first press conference last January where he first used the term non-negotiables. Mm-hmm. And uh, I-, I think that's what, the starts allude to i mean you there's many cases and we'll find we'll know more 83 games from now about how ready this team was or how good this team was and talent wise and depth and where their strengths were and where their weaknesses were on an individual basis but being ready to play no matter what team you are no matter who's on your roster you should be ready to play you might not have a hope of winning that game if you're a really bad team but at least you're ready from the start and you're making the other team you're making the other team earn it you're making the other team work for 60 minutes uh, to beat you and when you're you're not ready that's uh, i think for talk it that's like an an intolerable flaw because that's got nothing to do with with talent that's got to do obviously with mental preparation which i guess is maybe a kind of talent but it it's got to do with with effort and focus and discipline and these are things that, you know, whether you're a 120-point team or a 60-point team, you should be able to, to get that at this level. You should be able to get focus and, and discipline and be mentally ready to go. And, and I think uh, it was clear from what he said this morning, he's been frustrated by that in the preseason. We probably would have would have heard more about it had these been regular season games and maybe would have focused, we would have focused more on it. Cause I think like a lot of people, we don't, you know, if they give up an early goal and, and go on to lose a game, we, we don't really go back to the early goal and say, well, that cost them the game because it's not the winning isn't what this is all about. It's about, you know, the team preparation, but that, you know, as talk, it reminded us today, that's a, that's a key part of, of, an outcome is whether you're playing for 60 minutes or 50 minutes or 40 minutes. And uh, they really haven't played for 60 minutes yet. No, we haven't really seen it yet. And it's one of those things where obviously until we get to the regular season, we won't quite know exactly where, where this team is at, but it must be somewhat discouraging to see a guy like Niels Hoaglander have the same questions asked about him today ahead of the final preseason game where he's probably not playing as were being asked last year when he got sent down to Abbotsford that, what is your identity? Uh, you know, I've heard he's a buzzsaw, but I'm not seeing it. You know, he's being too cute with the puck when he's playing with Pedersen. He needs to do other things well. Uh, isn't that a bit discouraging? We're, see- we're hearing the same things after what was supposed to be a step forward from Hoaglander? 
Yeah, well, it doesn't it doesn't instill hope and, or and jubilation because you know it's time for Hoaglander to be what, whatever he's going to be. Still young, you know. Mm-hmm. It's his. He's been a pro for three years, but he's been a pro for three years at the highest level in the world. And you know, two and a half years with the Canucks and half a year, the second half of last year in the American Hockey League. And if he's not getting it by now, you wonder is he ever going to get it? And so that's that's where you know, there, there may be some dismay uh, about, you know, not seeing more from him. Uh, you know, he's a guy who started training camp on the first line and had a pretty good opening weekend in Victoria and in, in the three practices in a scrimmage. But he's kind of just played his way down the lineup to the point where he's now, he's now on the fifth line. And he's the extra tonight. And let's remember, they still have Mikheyev ready to come in pretty soon here, I think. So uh, everyone, uh, everyone below Mikheyev is, is going to get bumped down another spot. So uh, I think there's got to be a little bit of, of frustration there. It would be nice uh, to be to have that luxury of of patience. But in in Hoaglander's case, you know he's subject to waivers. He was a second round pick who's already played a lot of NHL games, and we see all the tools there. Uh, I think uh, although we haven't seen many guys. Uh, get claimed on waivers I, I think he's one that who would and the Canucks they've invested enough and they they still obviously see this potential they don't want to to you know give up on him or at least lose him for nothing so for now for now he's here and talk it said today well maybe he will be in the starting lineup who knows but it, it just hasn't been uh, other than that first weekend it hasn't been a great two week two weeks uh, for Hoaglander and you know, as far as as far as his identity and finding a bottom line, I mean, every player has to do that. No matter no matter what kind of player you is, ev- you are every player has to find out what it is they do that can keep them employed in the best league in the world. Jack Studnika is still trying to figure that out, and it seems like he's made a lot of strides. Dakota Joshua had you know a, a moment of crisis early in this in this preseason. When when Talkit basically, you know, outed him and said this guy's got to pick it up or or he's not going to be on the team and and now Joshua has responded. We forget how young he is. Last year was his first full season, even though he'd had three seasons before that with St. Louis, going back and forth between the NHL and the AHL. He played twice as many games, almost twice as many games in the NHL last season as he had in the previous three. So he's still a young guy. He's not young in age though. And he's still trying to figure it out. Uh, I think you could even argue people like, you know, Connor Garland, uh, Brock Besser. They're still trying to, and and maybe it's a little unfair for them because they're put in the positions that they're put in. But, you know, they're they're still trying to adapt and uh, maybe not find a role, but fulfill the role that the coach wants them to fulfill. And so it, it's it's an ongoing thing for a lot of guys, but it, it seems especially important when you're at a young age, you haven't done anything, you haven't, you know, Connor Garland, Brock Besser, they've done some things in the NHL already. Like they've got some credit in the bank. You know, Niels Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin, uh, you know, they, they haven't, and they still got to find their way. Ian McIntyre, our guest. Uh, so your latest at sportsnet.ca is with JT Miller, and... You know, some really interesting things to come out of it, uh, especially 
you know, when it comes to how he views his role and how he clearly views the line with him and Phil DiGiuseppe and Brock Besser and, and would like it to be uh, the, the shutdown type of line for this team. What do you think a a successful season looks like for JT Miller? Because I, I don't think that just involves like, oh, point a game and good on the power play or anything anything like that. You know, a, success, a successful season for, for JT Miller is probably one where we just talk about JT Miller uh, as a hockey player. And we don't, and we don't talk about, you know, the, his temper or, or any of these, these side stories that we've, we've talked about with JT Miller and where, you know, we get to the point where he's a reliable, dependable hockey player every day. We know he's an immensely talented hockey player. There's very few people. And I mean that literally, there are not many guys in the NHL who have the package of skills plus size and the disposition that he has. So he is, he is a a special player, but the, the, the thing with JT Miller, as we know, especially the last couple of years, it's just been, you know, the consistency and the focus and, and game to game and not being distracted within games and, you know, maintaining positivity and, and being, being a true leader. And these are all things that to his credit, Miller has acknowledged as things that he needs to work on and wants to get better at. And I think that's, that's really important. I mean, it can be frustrating and it was last night or last season, a couple of times with, with JT Miller. But if the player doesn't recognize that he needs to improve, that he can be a better version of himself, then, then you have no hope. And JT Miller recognizes that. I also think he has made a lot of strides in, in the last couple of years he's made strides as far as trying to you know channel his emotions and be more positive and be more of a a leader for this this team but I also think he has made some strides and again part of that is recognition knowing that he has to be a better two-way hockey player we saw last year after Talkett he was a much better two-way hockey player but that was you know 30 games and now he's got to do it for 82 and since he's just starting a seven-year contract, he may have to do it for, what is it, 764 games if he stays healthy? I mean, he's going to be pivotally, pivotally important to uh, the Canucks this year, good, good or bad. And I think there's a lot more good with JT Miller than bad. So back to your question. I know I've talked for three minutes. You've probably been practicing your, your drum rolls, uh, Riccio, but... Uh, I'd say a a good season is significant scoring again, because he's not a guy who can just have 45 points and checks the other team in submission. You say that's a, that's a great season unless he's winning the Selkie. And I don't think that's going to happen. So you still need points, but it's not about whether he gets 80 or 90 points, but it's also in addition to the points that he gets is, is he a reliable, dependable, consistent two-way player so when, you know, there's criticisms of him, it's, it's just about, you know, performance and performance in, in the context of how the team is doing. And it's not about him having these lulls or these outbursts or, or anything else. And I, I think he has, as I said, he has made a lot of progress in that regard. And, and I love the fact that he's so self-aware and knows what it is he has to do better to be better for him, for his, himself feel better about himself, but also what he has to do 
to help this team win. And he recognizes he recognizes where he's erred in the past. And I think that's a positive thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're right. This team is going to go as far as guys like Patterson and JT Miller up front are going to take them. And I think JT, for all the talk about his role being somewhat reduced this season, and yeah, maybe overall minutes, they can play him a bit less having Bluger and, and uh, Suter as, as centers behind him. But he's still their best face-off guy on the PK. He's still a guy that can play big and physical, can win board battles as well when he's engaged. I don't see that his role is going to diminish that much. Like I, For all the talk about him not getting used on the PK a ton, I think they're going to be forced to use him on the PK a ton because of his face-off ability. Yeah, I, I agree, Sad. I mean, uh, I think people are kidding themselves if they think this team suddenly has progressed to the point where JT Miller is going to play, let's say, 18 minutes. So he's yeah. still going to be a 20-minute guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we are going to see him on the PK, and we want to see him. We want to see Miller and Pedersen together on the PK because we saw how dangerous they were last year, shorthanded. And I think it's good, especially when you have other guys like DiGiuseppe and Bluger and Amon who are kind of penalty killers, penalty killers, right? They're, they're just going to try to take care of their own end, get the puck down the ice, but they're not a threat to score. I think it's very helpful if you have a shorthanded arsenal where when certain guys you throw out there, the other team has to be aware. And, and we saw how dangerous Miller and Pedersen were shorthanded. And yeah, okay, maybe they're not, in terms of the defensive metrics, they may not be the best guys on the team to be killing penalties. But if they're, if they're scoring goals to counter the few that they're giving up, then that's, that's a big thing. So I think, Miller, I think Miller still has a huge role on this team. In the same way, and, and I think we've all used this analogy, when Henrik Sedin uh, was winning the Hart Trophy and the scoring title, a critically important guy was Ryan Kessler playing behind him uh, because there were such different players and they did different things. And I think no matter what Pedersen does, and you know we'll see if he can repeat or even improve upon a 102-point season, whatever he does no matter who's playing behind them. And yeah, they've signed uh, Bluger and, and Suter and they needed that help uh, at center. But, you know, the previous year they had Bo Horvat and uh, I guess, let's say Curtis Lazar uh, for three and four and, and Miller still played a ton. He's going to play a ton again this year. You know, a, a large part of that is, you know, Miller um, talking about being better defensively and, you know, um, the team in general has been so focused on that iMac, and, and we've seen it in bits and parts uh, through the preseason. How much better can this team be defensively in, in your eyes? Uh, well, I think we're seeing that they're, they're a much better defensive team now and, and really since Talkett took over than they were under Bruce Boudreaux. And, you know, I, I, I don't have the game-by-game sheets in front of me from this preseason, but, you know, throw out that first 10 nothing game. And I, I'm not sure that they've allowed what more than, you know, 27 or 28 shots in a game. And that includes against Edmonton. Now I could be wrong. Uh, the, maybe the first game in Edmonton, they allowed more, but you know, they've been under 30 last game. What was it? 17 for Seattle in, in Abbotsford, something like that. So, you know, they're not giving up uh, all that much and that's important. And now, now today shows you how things, you know, when something improves and it casts a light on what 
you need to do better. And so they've got that that part of their game a lot better. So now today, talk is saying we've got to find a way to score some goals, and that was that was never the problem. That was never the battle cry last year. Let's go out and score some goals. It was let's not give up five or six. So they've gotten much better on the defensive side of things. The the other part that is uh, so much improved. Uh, at least in the preseason, uh, which means it means nothing until they start to do it in the regular season. But it's very encouraging how good their penalty killing has looked. Because if you go back uh, to the last two seasons, but especially last year, so much of the abyss that they played themselves into early on was because uh, they just couldn't kill penalties generally and they couldn't get kills at the right time like they they and last year you go back and look at some of those early games they lost time after time after time it was the special teams that uh, that let them down even though their power play was very good last year they just gave up so many uh, goals against to the opposition power play that it made it impossible some nights to win you know when you're when you're playing at a, a one goal deficit on special teams every night you got to be pretty special to make that up. Nobody, nobody can spot another team, a, a one, nothing lead every game and think that they're going to win most of them. And the Canucks won very few of them. So the penalty killing, that's a, been a big, big improvement. I would say, uh, you know, to, to my untrained eye, that's probably the single most encouraging thing that we've seen from a team perspective in, in this preseason is that their shorthanded play seems a lot better. And the personnel is a big part of that. The guys that they've got, I like the defensive play. There's still lots of things to be concerned about, but I think in terms of the systems, which obviously was the key for talk from day one of camp, I think system wise, they've, they've got a lot of work in on this preseason. We'll see, we'll see if it translates to a better start. Well, we, we certainly hope so. Now, before we let you go, uh, Ian, are you expecting the team to maybe pick up a defenseman between now and the start of the season? I think they're, they're constantly looking. I think a lot of teams are, are probably looking for that. Everyone's looking for, especially the, the, the defenseman who improves their depth and maybe on a team like Vancouver, maybe can play on a third pairing. Mm-hmm. And everyone's looking for, you know, a, a forward. And especially if you, if you can get somebody with some size and speed and, and can win some face-offs, that would be helpful too. But, you know, there's not a lot of teams casting those players adrift on waivers. I think the Canucks are going to continue to look. You and I sat, talked about this the other night in our mm-hmm. conversation on TV about uh, who might end up with Quinn Hughes. And, and you mentioned them going out and getting a player. I've, I've mentioned that they've, you know, maintained contact with Ethan Bear. And at some point, Ethan Bear is going to be ready to play in the NHL this season. And when that time comes, I think there's a chance. I'm not saying it's a slam dunk, but I think there's a good chance that it's going to be back here in Vancouver, depending you know, on a number of moving factors between now and whenever that time is. So uh, I, you know, I, don't, I, I think anybody would be foolish to think that this roster as it is now, after you know, a couple of good pickups in the summer, uh, for the bottom half of the lineup, let's remember that these these guys aren't going into the top half of the lineup, but that you know they're somehow done or a finished product, because that's that's simply not the case. They they can't be a finished product, so they got to be continuing to look. I'm Mac. We appreciate the time as always. Go work on those uh, those drum solos. <laughs> 
Wouldn't that be great to be in a rock band and and you know, be the drummer? It'd probably do, be a do, lot do, of fun. Do drummers, yeah. do, do drummers still have solos though? That's my question. Not, I mean, there's many. lots of there, there's lots of great drum riffs. Yes. Within songs, but I think you know there's not many solos anymore. Not many guitar solos either. Yeah, music I mean, has changed. Like I was saying, like it, you don't see many more John Bonham drum solos, like Moby <laughs> Dick, going on for like seven minutes. You know, like you don't see that anymore. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, I'm Mac. We love it. Uh, we'll talk soon. See you guys. Uh, there is uh, Ian McIntyre, the best triple threat on radio, on television, and digitally at Sportsnet.ca. There's not too many Lars Ulrichs out there anymore. No, no. Times are changing. Yeah. Bring the drum back. There's not too many drummers that become famous out of bands either, right? No, I guess, uh, what's his, oh, I'm gonna, people are going to get so mad at me. Uh, Dave Grohl, isn't he a drummer? Yeah, Dave yeah. Grohl. Well, yeah. he was the drummer yeah. in, in Nirvana. Nirvana. And then Foo Fighters. Was the lead man for the Foo Fighters. Yeah. But you don't often, uh, the, the drummer, like, name me the drummer of your favorite band. You probably don't know it. Like, Pearl Jam's my favorite band. They've had, like, three drummers. I don't remember. Cameron? I think his name is Cameron. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, w- one of my favorite ones was Chad Smith for the Chili Peppers. Yeah. He was good. Um, I actually saw a recent, I somehow ended up on drummer TikTok recently. You did? Yeah. And Chad Smith was, like, uh, so, like, they play the drummer a song. And but without the drum beat, and he's got to he, add it. He's got to he's got to try and guess what it is. And it was uh, a thirty seconds to Mars song, and he he basically nailed it. Really? He's like yeah, he's like listening crazy. to it. It's like oh, it's in three. I'm like, what, what? does that what mean? does that even mean? I know. <laughs> well, it's, it's incredible. Like what yeah. level these guys see music at, right? <laughs> We're like, that's a good beat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he just like throws it down all of a sudden. Great. Yeah, Unreal. Get, uh, getting good texts here. Travis Barker, Tommy Lee, Neil Pert. Yeah, they're good ones. All right. There we go. There we go. Uh, Dan Richo, Satio Shaw. Mailbag is next on Canuck Central.